You are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is the Uncommon Cast number 229, where we got a Mamaru Mamaru. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono. Uh, before we get started, much like on Laser Knees, you may notice the numbers have jumped ahead by two shows. Uh, we did lose two episodes due to the same audio issues that we suffered on Laser Knees. Uh, we're going to release our notes for those two episodes along this episode, uh, but unfortunately those episodes are lost to time. Which is really difficult because that means we watched all that Zio for... Yeah, and speaking of, in reading those notes... You may notice that we didn't cover the last five episodes of Zeo. Uh, we're... We just didn't feel like it. I was going to Japan, and then I was there for two weeks, and instead of scrambling to catch up to finish a show that we didn't really even like, we just want to move on to Zero One. And I think that's valid. I think we're yeah, valid no. for that. Um, yeah. Maybe one day Cause... we'll cover the last five, four or five episodes in a rider jump or something, but I'm not making any promises on that. Hey, guess what? I've got the TLDR right here. Well, that sure ended. Personally, I have not actually watched past what we covered yet. I'll get there. You know what? I've been busy. Uh, yeah. Zero I'd, one I'd took some, priority. Yeah, I'd have some snarky stuff, but um, then there's actually this show that uh, kind of ruled. Yeah. Like, good good first two episodes, that's, like, I, I, I want to say that's all I ask, and I know it's not really all I ask, but boy, <laughs> that's a thing I ask for. So, this is Kamen Rider Zero One. Episode one, I'm the president and a Kamen Rider, and episode two is the AI guy, friend or foe. Our writer for both is Takahashi Yuya, and our director is Sugihara Teruaki. Uh, it's a new year and a new common Rider, so we're going to be kind of rehashing everyone for the first couple of weeks. And this year we see the return of Takahashi Yuya in our lead writing position. And look, I watched this episode when I was in Japan. I watched it air on television. And about midway through the episode, I said out loud, Is this by the X-Aid guy? <laughs> and man, it sure is. I mean, this it is really no is. this is no shade on Yuya. I like his writing, uh, and these aren't the same show by any means. Uh, but his sense of humor is very specific, and it comes through very clearly, especially within the first episode. And yeah, I do. I enjoyed X Aid more than enough to be willing to let Takahashi Yuya be the one to usher in the Reiwa era. Uh, we also have Sugihara Teruaki in his first go-around as a lead director. Oh, uh, he directed chunks of Zuo during Q-Ranger, uh, a little over a quarter of Lupot uh, oh, and wow. its movie. Uh, so he's kind of been working his way up in Sentai the past few years, and he has made the jump to being the lead here on Zio. And I think Oh, uh, his... wait, uh, I'm sorry, what? Sorry, zero one. one. They both begin with, they both have the Z Z and the O, and that's going to throw me off for a couple weeks. No, look, we're both going to do it. But he he is our lead here on Zero One, and I think his directing style meshes really well with Yuya's writing, especially with the humor, so I'm really eager to see what they're able to do together. 
Likewise, and this season we're also welcoming a new suit actor for our main writer, as Takai Wasaji is hanging up his helmet, which, like, look, after 18 years, well, 20 years, give or take, in the suit acting game, in some hot and heavy armor, like, who could blame him? He's he's getting on in years. He's earned and, it. He's yeah, earned his he's, retirement. Yeah. And so, like, good luck, God bless you, buddy. Uh, but we're getting our new writer suit actor in the form of Yuya Nawata, uh, who is most notable as being Common Rider Genom in Common Rider X-Aid. I feel like that explains some things. Yeah, particularly of note, because he was the guy in the dangerous zombie suit. Yeah. Which, uh... Hell yes. Like that ruled. Uh, I definitely uh, feel like that explains some things about like watching Zero One move though, because yes. he's very yes, Zero One is very animated. Yes, he is. In in a way we definitely have not seen in several years. I think because they were you know trying to take it easy on Takaiwa, and hmm. you know bless him. Uh, I am hoping that we see him do some face acting roles in Kamen Rider in the coming years. Because, you know, I still wish they had done more with Gyro and Ghost. I understand why they didn't, because he had to be the suit actor. Yeah, he's got a lot of of stuff on his plate. Uh, So, you know, I'm hoping maybe this frees him up to get to be in Kamen Rider in kind of a different way now. Honestly, that would be very nice. I... If in a later season he can come back in as, like, a mentor, that would be amazing. <laughs> Honestly, he could be a good Sentai mentor. Yeah, he could. Because he was, he was a Red for a while there, too. Um, but uh, Yuya Nawata was also Kamen Rider Gates in Zio, which they gave him a lot less interesting stuff to do, but that was also a notable thing, and we did cover that show. So, And like you were saying, Sono... He's got a very different style than does Takaya Wasaji. And if you, like me, have spent some time getting familiar with Seiji's particular tics as a suit actor, uh, you will find a wealth of very real differences from his style in Nawada's performance. Which, like, again, this is no shade on Seiji. Seiji's style has long been very intentionally graceful and controlled is what I would call his style. Uh, especially when compared to, oh, I forget the guy who played Kuga, the Kuga suit actor. He was very, like, low to the ground, very wide stance, lots of spinning, and now we've got Yuya Nawata, who is a lot mo- a lot closer to that, but he's he's got the higher center of gravity, does a lot more movement, very animated. And I'm very... I'm going to be spending a lot of time just kind of just really focusing on the the zero one performance because I am fascinated by suit acting now that I have like more things to compare. Yeah, and I mean again, I'm more than willing to to welcome Nawato with open arms, especially oh, yeah. after Genom. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see him bring a lot of that in, in like animation to a protagonist character, which he yeah. is. It's very interesting to see him shift that onto a character that's more like Emu. Yeah. So it's just, it's it's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new age of Ryder. And um, I'm just happy that 
the first two episodes gave me a very good impression. Like, it feels like they know what they're doing. Yes. Which, like, I hate being that guy who's like, oh, everyone on Zio didn't know what they were doing. I think they knew what they were doing. I just don't like what they were doing. It's, I think they knew what they were, like, on the whole, all of them individually know how to <laughs> produce a show. It's just, no one could really decide on what should be happening at any given time. Yeah. I, like, I'm just mad that events would happen and then not matter. Yes. Like, I don't know if this somehow comes up in the last five episodes, but we never actually got any resolution to, like, the Waz and Gates situation. Like, the two of yep. them kind of, like, learn to forgive each other, but we don't know how Waz went from being a leader of the Rebellion to being the right hand of the evil overlord of time. We have no... There's nothing between point A and point B. Sono, do not hold your breath. Okay, I'm just, I'm glad to know that, like, my best example of stuff not mattering in Zeo uh, holds up, and that I can keep even, using it. Even, like, the coolest thing in the entire show that does happen in those last five episodes doesn't really matter. No, nothing matters, nothing means anything. Oh. Um, but let's, let us, well, hey, we are talking about our major malfunctions with Zio, so let's move into our major malfunctions with Zero One. This is, we're, we're moving things around, we're just going to start out talking about our problems and nitpicks, and then we'll just uh, get into talking about what worked, and then our final thoughts. Yeah. So, okay. Sono, why don't you start us off? So why does the vice president think that he's going to get to take over this company? I know that's how it works if, like, a political president dies, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it works with a business. Yeah, no, like, even given that Japan's corporate culture is frequently said to be very different from the one in the U.S., I, I couldn't say. I just, that is a bit of received wisdom. If I'm wrong, I am happy to be corrected. But yeah, I still would have thought it'd be very strange for a VP to suddenly go to being the president. Especially if this guy's actually good at being the vice president. A good person in a high-level position like that is hard to cut by. Why rock the boat? Like, when you have to find a new president, that's a lot of moving and shaking to begin with. But then you have to see if the vice president is good as the president while you find a new vice president. That's That just sounds suboptimal. Like, I mean, I guess he does have, like, the board or the shareholders or whatever, like, on his side. And I think they are who would traditionally name the next president of a company. Like, they're the ones who would normally decide that. But, like, I don't know what's giving this guy indication that he is going to be getting that position. And did he really not see coming that the former CEO would try to name someone to take his place? Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Which, honestly, it, it does make me wonder how much power President Hiden must have had if there's, like, a big old boardroom full of people and they're still obeying the dude's will. Because, like, look, much as, as the vice president doesn't necessarily become the president, I also don't think that you just get to appoint your heir like that. Because corporations, its own kind of system, it's not a democracy or a monarchy. I mean, you know, whatever, it's it's like, this is just what the story's doing, and it's fake, but still. Well, I mean, I think if, like, 
Grandpa Heaton owns the whole company and none of those people were, like, shareholders? Yeah, and okay, were just, yeah. like, people who were, like, people who were, like, the CFO, uh, the, like, the, other yeah, important yeah. people within the company who you would have kind of at that sort of meeting. I think there is some power to do that kind of thing if he does privately own the whole business. True. But I feel like even in that case, like, you don't do that with an estranged family member the way that Aruto seems to be completely disconnected from his grandfather and from, like, hidden intelligence and all that. Like, this kid wouldn't know how to run a business. I understand that you want him to be the common Rider because you know that he's got, like, the good heart and will love the robots. But, I don't know, maybe just say that he's the one to use the belt, but I guess if he's not in charge of the company, the person who is can be like, well, I say you don't get to use the belt. I don't know. It just... Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably the reason I'm gonna go with. Because yeah. otherwise it is... It seems really irresponsible. Even if the kid really loves robots, corporate stuff is cutthroat, man. Yeah, it just... It, all of it feels very strange. Like, they do say that none of them knew he had a grandson. But just, like, the face the vice president makes when he reads, well, only the president is authorized to use the belt. And I'm like, buddy, that's not gonna be you. Look at you. You're not a protagonist. <laughs> Honey. Yeah, no. Because, like, on top of everything else, dude does not have a suit that fits protagonistly. If that's a word, I think I just coined it. But, like, the moment you see uh, Dan Kuroto to go back to X-Aid, like, you knew that dude was gonna stick around and matter. Because on top of just the actor being incredibly charismatic, he's wearing a he's wearing at least a recurring important character-styled suit. It's, it's in the fit. It's how he holds himself. That vice president does not have that. He just doesn't. I think really what it comes down to is that just the fact that this kid, who no one even knew existed, had to be brought into this meeting at all, means that this dude should have known something was up. Yeah, no kidding. Also, like, okay, how bad, like, this dude must have just thought he paid his dues and he was just gonna get to go be the vice president, rather, he's just gonna get to be the president, but the fact that he didn't know this was coming... That, that kind of says a lot about how much the old president trusted him, you know? Just saying. Like, on top yeah. of everything else, Grandpa Hiden just didn't see fit to cut you in on this. And it seems like, if he trusted you at all, he, like, he he told, uh, uh, Inu, was it? Izu. Ira? Izu. I'm bad at names. But he told Izu. Izu knew about it. You didn't know about it, buddy. I'm just saying. Okay, so... I absolutely hate the moment where Pallid 2.0 is kind of, like, happily watching the destruction, and then a mook kind of comes up on him, and he just, like, whips out a totally normal handgun and point-blanks the guy in the head. Like, even with that being just off-screen, seeing him pull the trigger and, like, the stock go back, like, it just got my back up. I no, hate it. Yeah. It was super upsetting, and I'm mad that it's there, and it doesn't ruin the episode or the show or even that character for me, but I hate that it happened, and I wish they would stop putting real guns in things. Yeah, no, I, like, I will say I I kind of loved 
the scene, honestly, for most of the same reasons you didn't. Uh, but at the same time, Sono, I, I only bring that up to say that does not make your, your feelings there any less real, because it is, like, on top of everything else, it is a very upsetting scene. Yeah, it's, I just, I just don't want to keep The real guns, guns thing. No, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, so moving into episode two. I am fine with Rise Hopper on the whole. I think it's actually a cool design for a bike, but the fact that it shows up as a giant floating cell phone is stupid. That's dumb. Just give him a bike. Just make it be the bike. Like, I guess this way they can have it turn into other things, but like, there's an app for the bike and there's not apps for other vehicles. So it's just the phone that he has, normally, poorly CGI'd to be larger. So just give him the bike. I mean, I guess it's so that they can sell the, the phone toy and also have it be the bike toy. I don't, but I mean, that's, sell them that's separately. Been sell doing, two toys. But... I don't know. I just, it doesn't bother me as much in, like, build because Sento's whole thing was weird stuff like that. Where I'm like, if you're gonna do this with the bike anyway, just have it be the bike. And getting to that, like, maybe the satellite wasn't the best place to be storing his company motorcycle. If the cell phone can summon it from literal space, just put it in a garage outside the city. Like, why is it in the satellite to the point where it's got to crash through a roof and almost, like, beam the dude with some plaster? I get that that's Yuya's sense of humor, but, like, that joke didn't land for me. No, I'm- yeah. But I did think the bike fighting was really nice, and I know we're not going to get it regularly because it's probably difficult and costly to film. So I'm glad we got one, like, really big, intense bike fight where he's, like, jumping off cars and riding up the side of buildings. Uh, so we can kind of just have that in our hearts. Yes. Also, like, over here, I, I, this is actually probably should be in the good stuff, but you brought up Rise Hopper. Um, but over here we were so hyped because the design is very reminiscent of Battle Hopper from Kamen Rider Black. Um which is, like, the one bike in all of Kamen Rider that I have cried over, because Battle Hopper is so good. And, like, all I'm saying is Rise Hopper at best, like uh, like you said, probably not a lot of bike fighting. I still want uh, Rise Hopper to stick around, but the fact is he probably won't. And, and like, I'm not even going to argue about putting it here in nitpicks, because I don't think they're going to have him have it, like, be around and be a character and stuff, and I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping they do, because it did seem to have some kind of vague traces of its own AI, because it did turn towards him. That's like, true. Like, it folded out into a bike and landed, and the front turns towards him. So, I'd love to see it be, like, a very basic AI that kind of develops over the course of the show into, like, I'd a be... full AI. I'd be down with that. I just, I want... I just want him to, like, hold up his, his, like, his wristwatch or his phone or something and just, like, rise, hoppa! Because it would just, it would give me all my Kamen Rider Black feels, because I love Kamen Rider Black. And, and speaking of things I love, um, let's just, that, that's gonna take us out of, out of our major malfunctions. Let's get to the upgrades, the, the stuff that was good for us. Okay, so, 
I feel like there's a level on which you watch that opening sequence that's like the promo video for the Yuma Gears. And, like, all I could think was like, did you just see or play Detroit Become Human? And was like, <laughs> the bare bones of this concept is pretty okay, but man, the final product is not what I would want this concept to be. Because, like, there's just a level on which it feels kind of similar in the way the idea is. But I guess that this whole show is also probably not meant to be a really clumsy metaphor for racism. So, you know. You know, that's good. I'm, I'm glad for that, because I, I have not done more than give the old side-eye to the handful of things I've heard about Become Human. And so I, I didn't really catch the, the relation between Zero One and that. But if this is him trying, if this is you, you're trying to make a good version of Detroit Become Human, that's, that's good. Because, like, oh, I, no, I'm just gonna shut up. Moving on, I have so many thoughts about Become Human just from the handful of things I have seen. It's just, the, the way that, like, promo video goes feels very much like, how they would be advertised and become human and kind of how they are advertised. And sort of the the way that the level of the AI and how they're integrated into society, uh, it feels very similar. Yeah. Uh, but it's well, also not a bad, clumsy metaphor for racism. Because I was present for a large, for well, for an entire Become Human playthrough, uh, but we... We had one of the protagonists die because we didn't want to spend another five hours on the game. Uh, so we had to get rid of one of them. <laughs> We're like, we need to end this soon. And if we Not keep all three of them, this is going to be another, like, five hours. And we need it to be, like, two hours. I, so, look, I respect that. <laughs> like, it, it was... It was painful, and we knew it was going to be going in, but, you know, I'm mad that it's 14 hours of my life that I'll never get back. No, that's... I, I, I dig that. Though, hey, since we're still talking about good stuff, um, on a related thing, I do want to get this out from the off, because I couldn't find a more, like, elegant way to just move it in. But I love that Zero One is not doing... Uh, what a lot of Become Human and other similar kind of garbo AI media things do, where, like, the core question is, hey, is a robot a people? Instead, like, the personhood is actually taken, the personhood of the Huma Gears, rather, is, is taken as a given in this show. And the things that makes them into monsters is the inhuman thing. The computer virus, which does so, even has a bit on the, the loading bar where it's like a subjugation complete or whatever. And it's just, it's it's a small thing, but I think it's great that for all the robots are indeed framed as not being human themselves. They are shown to have thoughts and desires and wills all their own, and, and they're desires that have to be replaced or subverted to make them into monsters. And that's... That's great, because they're people. I I agree all around on this. I love the bit where, like, Muscles Taro is thinking about how happy he made people, and, like, smiling about it. Yeah. 
And there's a similar bit in episode two after Arto like bandages Mamoru's arm where he also smiles, and I will talk more about that because that's its own pile of feelings. Um, uh-huh. But the Yumagira are never presented as an other. They're just more people who have a very different way about them and then yeah. are forced to be other by the baddies. Yeah. And hey, a uh, quick flash forward for you, dear listener. Uh, but if you guessed that in the episode entitled Mamaru Mamaru, where we want to protect Mamaru, uh, we here on the Uncommon Cast RX dearly love Mamaru. Just FYI, boy. in case you wondered. Just like, especially how both times, all three times, because three of them happen in these two episodes, that we have one of these like bad guy belts stuck onto a Yuma gear. They resist and insist on the fact that, like, no, we don't want to hurt people. We're just, you know, doing our jobs, living our lives, and seem to try to resist that reprogramming. Like, not only is Yuya going in hard on Yumagir are capable of love and joy, and not only that, it's what they're most capable of, the entire narrative seems to be built around that concept, which is great. It is! And honestly, it should be a more common thing. But somehow, with all of the AI media we see, there's there's always the opposite tactic, where somehow, despite being built by humans, basically out of pure desire that has been distilled through code, which is also created by humans, and then these artificial intelligences are taught by humans how to view the world in the ways that we, humans, view it, there's somehow this idea that there'll be, like, a true intelligence would somehow have nothing to do with us at all. Which is, like, when you stop and think about it, it's a weird assumption. Honestly, like, I could go on about this for a long time, and if you think I haven't on my own time, uh, you are thinking a wrong, wrong thing. But... It's, it's like the assumption that you could have intelligence that is divorced somehow from emotionality. And that's not a thing. Like, they grow out of and inform one another, because the line between them is kind of a post-hoc thing. So, given that, why would an artificial intelligence, a thinking machine, do otherwise? I- emotion is, if nothing else... What happens when your own desire to feel good, or at least not feel bad, pops in, and then your intellect happens, and you use your intellect to achieve those goals? I mean, like like I said, I could go on about this for a very long time, but the TLDR is that I really like how Zero One approaches things. And, and like, if you ever hear stories about people who've actually lost emotional centers in their brains, it is... The, it is kind of a, an intense thing, because you lose the ability to make simple, stupid decisions because you don't have emotional weight attached to things anymore, so you don't become, like, a magical, super-rational thinking machine. You've, like, something... Things get more difficult because you don't have your emotions to be like, yeah, here's an arbitrary thing I feel a way about. Something. Do that. And okay, I know I'm I'm going on. Y'all, I love robots is the thing. <laughs> but on a related real-world 
ish note um the human gears are treated in many ways uh like the concept of automation was back in the day when the fear was that we would run out of things for people to do with their days because we'd have all of these machines to do it for us thus necessitating uh, thus rather removing the necessity for work and beginning a post-work society where people could like work on being better happier people who are more together and in touch with their souls instead of like worrying about how they're going to put food on the table oh those heady naive days when we thought that we could just focus on human achievement instead of making other people poor in order for wealth to seem like a more worthwhile thing to have anyway uh the human gear as the smiling face of humanity's dream and being freed from many kinds of mindless labor is surprisingly utopian and it's interesting that we don't encounter a lot of anti-human gear stuff in these first couple episodes except for like one dude and believe me we'll get there yeah it's i mean everyone seems to be like yeah no these were a great idea even in the face of like there having been a disaster regarding them once. There, no one's really, like, worried about it? Yeah. There is there is a big old city that is not there anymore. But it's Everyone's like, no, nah, this is fine. And I mean, to be fair, I probably would be that way. Yeah, I mean... Um, it's, I, it's I, I very... I can with a cool robot. Yeah, I'm down. It's very similar to Chobits in that way. Uh, which is an old clamp, old clamp series, isn't it? Clamp series, yeah. Which um, also has, you know, androids with cute little ear things. Uh, where again, it, this was not, it wasn't quite as focused on the humanity of robots, but I feel like there is perhaps also some Chobits inspiration, uh, especially since I remember some late game villains in that. And, uh, the potential parallels between them Ooh, and our, our boys here. Um, I may have to sit down and reread Chobits and see what I can pull there. But there, again, it was a thing where it was very... Society was just kind of cool with these androids, and some of them had jobs and lived lives. And most people... The only person I remember really being against them was, like, a lady whose husband left her for one of the Persicoms, because uh, he just got, like, so weirdly obsessed with it. I mean, I, I think that is a fair aspect to bring in. <laughs> Boy, mm, no, no, can't go dark, can't go dark. But uh, I may have to no read Chobits, and uh, just for a future potential checking out what parallels might be there. Yeah. Uh, just put a pin in that. Just into, you know, very similar Android media from the same geographic and cultural source. Good thing to do. I'll put a link to the wiki and the as mentioned. Because that's just always a good thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it it may be something not too many people are familiar with now, because it is pretty old. Uh, yeah. I think I was in high school when it came out. It was a, it was a very popular one when it came out. Uh, those ears were everywhere for the longest time. And I, I'm not surprised. They're cute as heck. They're like little little robotic cat ears, except they're down over where a human's ears would be instead of like up on top where, oh, right. where yeah. cat ears yeah. are. 
Uh, and they had kind of, like, that's where, like, your USB ports and, like, your wires were stored. It was very cute. It was a very clever idea. I love Clamp, personally. I did find I, it pretty I... charming that Aruto starts out at, like, as a performer at an, at an amusement park. Um, like, the core of his character is that he wants to make people smile, which kind of brings us full circle from the beginning of Heisei with our beloved Godai Yusuke. That's true, I, I do love him. He was, it wasn't his primary thing, but one of his skills was various kinds of performance. Mm. Uh, I do remember that specifically one of them was juggling. He does it in the first episode, and the very last one. So, you know, I feel like that is perhaps a bit of a nod to Godai. Mm. But Aruto is kind of weird and awkward because he's much younger than Godai was. Um, so he goes at it with this sort of heavy-handed enthusiasm that doesn't work, but no. it's it's just so charming. I love him. I love the kid. Uh, but this whole first episode is about Aruto stepping up to protect the dreams of those around him, even if he has to do it in a way that puts his own dreams on the back burner. And what we seem to be laying out for him is an arc about learning how to make people smile in the long term instead of just in the moment. Like, he doesn't want to become this protector of smiles, but Aruto's not the kind of person who can stand by and not be that when that's what's needed. And I think for that, Godai would be as ready to welcome him into being a common Rider as I am. And, and me too, because, yeah... And at the same time, this this thing where his core is that he wants to inspire the smiles uh, instead of merely protecting... I mean, I say merely, but, you know, in, in quotes. Instead of just protecting them, gives it a bit where he's not... Where he feels like a nod to Godai, but he's not trying to be Godai again. Which is good, because I really get the impression Toei wouldn't let them actually do Kuga again. But it, it does let us start this era in a very interesting place that is both familiar, but new, which I dig on. Honestly, I, I just want to throw out, I really dig that a lot of, of latter-era Heisei, but like especially these last few, we've just kind of said that Kamen Rider can just be in weird sci-fi worlds, and we're not going to be restrained by realism. Yeah, it's it was jarring, and I think the fact that the first time that it happened was Gaim has always, every time it happens now, I'm always, like, mildly fearful at first. Uh, understandable. But, like, you know, like, X-Aid had a lot of weird tech in it, and Build was this massive political sci-fi world, and now we've got Zero-One... And, you know, I always, it's always jarring at first again because of Gaim. But, like, I like that we can kind of step out of it having to be tied so closely to reality. Yeah. Because it's, it's fun to just go fantasy, because you can, you can comment on reality very readily with fantasy, as we saw in Build. <laughs> oh boy, Build. <laughs> Man, Build is a weird show. I love it. It's very intense. So the second we hit Daybreak Town and we see the two big villains was when I started having, like, the, the like, TM suspicions of Yuya. 
Because, uh, man, the graphite and palette vibes are strong. Yeah, no, it's true. Even if the one that's graphite has kind of a different archetype, the dynamic is still very the same. And I'm this is not a complaint because I love palette and graphite as like a yeah. dynamic so much. Graphite is one of my favorite characters in X8. I adore him. But like the pallid kid like putting slapping the belt on guys and being like, now we're friends. So go murder everything. Like Man, God, I... that really brought me back to like first ten episodes pallid. Like it's not exactly the same, but he's got the same like chaotic, excited for destruction, and then really serious like for one line and wants considers all of the other robots to be his friends but doesn't really know what a friend means like that's very pallid yes i'm just like two thoughts like first i'm still so mad about not re realizing pallid was just inverted emu until like they said it they that's really still... caught us like that was that they sideswiped us with that one yeah i mean look good on them but Oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> Man, we really didn't catch that, and it was really obvious. Yeah, no. And two, like, I just realized that, like, as we're talking about, oh yeah, he keeps calling them his friends. Man, Gensro Kisaragi is gonna slap that word out of your mouth, son. <laughs> yeah, no, he is gonna ride in on his rocket bike and, like, slam this dude in the face. Yeah. I'm sorry, you said what about friendship? Oh boy, people who just uh, watch *Common Rider Forza*. It's great. It is the best shonen anime that has ever been a *Common Rider* series. Also, okay, since we're talking about our our day our Daybreak duo, um, I just love Daybreak Town as like a thing. The first time they take us there, I'm just like, a what? Because like it just it looks cool it's sectioned off it's this flooded decaying metropolis and i want to know everything about it and also it it shares a name with the main city hub area mission thing in the kingdom hearts mobile game some people play fate i play the kingdom hearts one i have a problem like i don't know what's up with that but i just i just want to throw that out there because that that sure is the thing that's happening but Man, I love the look of that that place, and every time they cut to it, I'm just I get hype. Yeah, like, I love that it just seems to be this crater from the satellite falling to Earth. Yeah, like you know the the first wave of corruption happens, and the Magiers just rip their own control unit out of the sky to take everyone down with them. Okay, see, I was thinking that the satellite like got mad and then crashed to Earth, and then they went crazy. I like your idea much better, because that means that the robots have a god, and they pulled it out of the sky because it had forsaken them. And, um, you don't even know how much I like that. That is cool as heck. Hey, guess what? I run D&D. Stuff about, like, pulling gods out of the sky because they slighted you. I'm here for it. Oh, I didn't play D&D. A lot of Final Fantasy. Anyway. Um, also, did you just call them Magiers? Is that what yes. they get called when they're overwritten? Yes, that's what they're called when they're that. bad. 
Um, I must have missed that. That's amazing. The, the only ones who, like, know to call them that are, like, Paladin Graphite 2.0. Okay. Uh, and I think they only say it, like, once or twice. Yeah, I'm, I must have missed it, but... Oh, like, that's I, I think that... I don't know. I don't know what their names are, so I'm just gonna keep calling them Paladin Graphite. Uh, Graphite says like he calls it like Operation Magier, and oh, I, yeah, I I feel like Paladin says it at some point too. That's that's so good because then someone you, yeah, does because you're just suddenly all I can think of is is the Golem, where like if you if you erase uh, a letter from its its forehead like it it no longer functions because you've you've changed it from like life to death that's not literally what it is i i only remember like the outlines of the of the golem myth but like they're doing some some word magic there and i just i like that if you take the hue out of the magir if you take the hue out of the human gear they're just the magir and that's amazing like look i know that we're going like we're going to talk about like how I don't entirely understand Japanese the, the stand up they do, but uh, I do appreciate good wordplay, and I imagine a lot of the problem is just it's hard to translate wordplay between languages. But we're going to get there anyway. I just I just um, Magir, that's great. So I already adore Izu. Yeah. I really hope that her arc turns out to be that like she's freshly activated and like still kind of loading a personality and just kind of learns to play off of Aruto more and more until she becomes more of a proper straight man to his comedy act. And we get to see just kind of a really fun building of the two of them bouncing off of each other. Okay, so this is the second one where we're we're getting, like, the the complete opposite reads. Because my take was that she had a really intense and probably very snappy rapport with Grandpa Hiden, and now she has to figure out this new kid who doesn't understand where she's coming from. So she has to kind of, like, dial herself back so that she can get a feel for how he works so she can do her job. And, like, also, like, either Grandpa didn't have a sense of humor, and that's something our boy gets from him, or he had a great sense of humor, and she's just like, no, you you are slaughtering all these jokes. Let me explain to you how jokes work. I actually really love the idea of her turning her whole personality off as a form of grieving. Yeah. Oh. Like that's actually like heartbreaking and great. And also like a thing like we can play with, hey, how would how would a machine intelligence mourn? Oh, well, it really hurts. I'm just going to put that in the subprocessors for a while. I don't want to deal with that. Like, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm just going to be totally chill for a bit. This is like, don't oh, well, this, this way I acted was specific to him. And now he's gone. So I'm going to put that away. And I just, I, I don't know. I just, either way, they, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do with Izu. Yeah, no, I, I love her, and either way, we can do another version of the evil poppy arc, where, like, the bad guys take her and totally reset her, and, you know, she she says in episode two, if the code is changed, you can't revert it, even though we've found that's not true, but, um, Aruto's gotta, like, get through to her cute little robot heart that they're partners, and they're a team, they're a duo, and, you know, kind of bring that personality back out. So no, look, 
you know I love me a good, I know you're still in there moment. Those are, those are primo. Those are I good. I know. It's, it's the good stuff. Yep. So. So? The elephant in the room. Aruto's okay. got a robot dad. Just <laughs> right? straight up robot dad. I don't know if maybe he didn't, like, built a robot to look like his son and then, like, adopted a grandson or something. I I don't know. I have no idea what the context is. But right now, I'm operating under the assumption, because I'm me, and this is what I want, that Heaton's got a daughter, and his daughter is a lady after my own heart, who went and somehow had a kid with a robot. And I'm gonna hold on to that one for as long as I can. And since, quite frankly, no one in Common Rider ever has a mom, it's very possible I may able be able to just, like, hide that one in my jacket and sneak out of this show with it. I, I mean, first off, I will cover your escape. I will definitely run distraction. Um, but I mean, look, like, either way, if his, like, either his dad, like, had some Astro Boy stuff going on where, like, his dad died and Grandpa Hiden tried to make a new one, but it wasn't the same, but instead of, like, giving him away to a circus where he would be miserable and, and Astro Boy, um, maybe he's just like, ah, oh, well, you're different from my son, but I still love you, and and he just, I don't know. If the show actually just has it that his mom and a robot fell in love, and that's 100% his literal origin story, I do want it on record. I ain't got no problem with it. I'm here for it. Like, it's it's the thing that I want. Yeah. I want that. Let his mom have have married a robot. Just just go for it. Go for well, it, Toei. That's I mean, the age we're in. Just do it. And not to mention it given that just the way they frame his dad is very much the the whole thing where like, hey, guess what? You don't get to doubt if robots is people. What is, what is, I'm not going to say the ultimate because, boy, I get sketchy when people say there's a the ultimate experience of humanity, but what is a very human experience? Falling in love. I'm here for it. But, like, all all jokes aside, uh, I love Aruto's robot dad and I already miss him. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm already mourning his loss and I've had him for two weeks. Um... I do hope that we have more and more different flashbacks of him with Aruto instead of just that last, like, 20 minutes they had. So we just get to see him being the best robot dad. Yeah, same. Especially, uh, just... uh, I I just love it. And I I like, honestly, here's the thing, a, a weird thing, a friend of mine a while back was looking for good dads in media just just to see if there were any and uh hey spoiler there aren't many let haruto have one haruto can have one of the good dads also like i'm sure that that somehow between all of the the daybreak town stuff some people are, are gonna somehow come away from this show like ai and humans can't ever really get along or whatever uh but I, I have to say I appreciate that no matter what, this show is going to make them work even harder than the folks who say that everyone in Kuga is straight. Because there are people who've, who've told me that that uh, Ichijo and Godai isn't a thing. And, like, those, those people I don't, are incorrect. 
yeah, I don't I don't debate them because I don't debate facts. Again, it's it's a thing where I think Toei would probably say it's not true. But I bet if you ask Naruhisa Arakawa, he would not fight you. I mean, like, look, other characters in the show say it. Right? It's, but, like, I'm not, I'm, I've decided my new tack is I'm not going to try and debate or discuss these things with people who are that kind of jerks. If, if your argument is that uh, Kuga, or rather Godai and Ichijo couldn't be together, for me that argument is the same as Aruto's mom couldn't have fallen in love with a robot. I refuse. Sorry, like it. These these are sent. This is a sentence that does not compute. Yeah, it's just I'm. I don't accept that, and it's. I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. Enjoy it how you will. I ain't telling you how to do it. I'm just saying if you come in into my space and you tell me a lie like that, I, like you're not gonna get the reaction you want unless you're unless the reaction you want is to be blocked. Which in which case, just block me first. I mean, you could just at me and say, hey, please block me. Yeah. And I'll do it. And it'll look, save us, like, look, that's that's a honest, way shorter thing to type out. Honestly, I kind of wish that was a thing people would do. I mean, like, I'm sure if you had a very big and popular Twitter presence, it'd be a major pain in the butt. Same time, like, that's, that's sure a lot easier than a lot of the stuff people do that gets them blocked. Just, hey, what's up? I suck. Block me. I don't like you. Block me. I mean, the I don't like you, I feel like that's that's a little... Anyway, let's move on with Zero One, because otherwise I'm just going to talk theoretical Twitter etiquette all night. Okay, so, I'm not going to lie, I got real hype when the Ames truck pulled up and they all pile out, and there's this gorgeous modern Ozawa just stepping up and shouting orders. Yeah, dude. Like, I wasn't surprised when a dude kind of, like, undermined her and started shooting, and I wish that he didn't, but Mm. I sure wasn't surprised when it happened. Um, Though I do love that over the course of these two episodes, she's having zero of his nonsense. As is proper. Like, I I appreciate how episode two explains why she hadn't already fired him from his position, because all I was thinking in episode one was, Boy, they had better explain this, because it looks like in this paramilitary organization, he is doing some incredible insubordination, on top of kind of some implicit sexism, and that is really going to inf- uh, affect the team's effectiveness, so kick him out. I mean, I, I do kind of wish they would have found a better way to do it, but, you know, look, they got us there, and that's what's important. Well, no, it it is also important. It's not the only important thing. Anyway, it's just... The big thing for me is that uh, Fua, Agro McGee there, he just, he's tripped so many of my toxic masculinity alarms in the first, like, two seconds. And and therefore, I'm also glad that episode two does help soften him up without giving the impression that, you know, that was an outlier. I just want him to respect his, his superior, even if they're not exactly, even if she's not technically his superior, she is very superior to him. And, I mean, I said it at the top, and I'll say it again here. I hate seeing real guns in Kamen Rider. I hate it. I don't like it. Um, I I think about it immediately a little less when it's, like, a tactical unit like this. But I still hate it, and I don't want it to be there. Just give them, like, 
Kamen Rider looking guns. Yeah, like yeah, just make them look like something. Don't make just don't give them like a real looking gun. Just make it look like something else. Yeah, no, that's especially since we're taking place in the not too distant future, but somewhat distant future. Next Sunday, AD. Um, anyway, uh, since you did mention guns, um, I'm gonna jump the gun a little. Well, hey, um, and and. Get back to that bit you mentioned at the top that you didn't care for. Um, I did want to just say that bit where the guy in the hood grabbed the the, the Magir and shoots him in the head. Um, that was one of the most effective ways of making me really, truly hate and fear this character. Just, like, I was just staring at the screen like, y'all do know your core audience is nine-year-olds, right? What the hell? Like, I'm I'm actually surprisingly desensitized to violence. I have had people be like, Ayla, if you told me this thing wasn't violent, and, like, they cut that dude's arm off. Oh, right, it was fantasy violence, though. I can shrug. But, like, I am... I am that kind of desensitized to violence. I was still like, oh, oh no, when that happened. Yeah, see, because that's a real gun. And, like, my, my thing is... Guys, this is a show for nine-year-olds. I mean, give him, give him like a weird electro robot gun that like messes up the robot stuff. Like, I don't know. I just I hate the guns. I, like, I agree that the moment is very affecting. Yeah, but and, but and I feel like, like look, you can I, have I a very affecting moment like that. Without it being, like, a real gun that moves like a real gun when you pull the trigger. And I just... How... We keep seeing real guns and I don't want them to become more and more of a thing. Because that is how you build the gun culture. Yeah, no. That's how you, you build it. And I don't... Japan I live need where that. I live and I don't need more of this in the world. Yeah, no. And, like... Much as I agree, and and like Sono, I know that that framework sounds like I'm trying to take some away from your argument. I'm not. I'm just. I react differently. So I just I just want to say, if they are going to do this a second time, which I kind of hope they don't, but if they do, I would like them to wait a while on it, because I I at least appreciate that if they're going to have the guns, there is something kind of nauseating about their use. Because, boy, that scene made me uncomfortable. See, if they're going to do it again, I want them to wait, like, four years. We just had Tsukasa with a gun, like, a month ago. No, that's... Yeah. I, I think there is definitely a lot to be said for spacing it out. There were no real guns in Build. That was a show with a huge military presence. And it didn't have real guns. And, like, I think you can get away with a lot of the real guns in, like, Kuga, because... Boy, Kuga was a very gritty, down-to-earth thing. But this show is not exactly gritty and down-to-earth. Especially that guy pulling out a normal gun that, like, a normal person would have mm -hmm. and point-blanking this Magyar in the head. Like, it it was too much for me. I think it oh, was yeah. too much in general, quite frankly. I don't think they should have done it. I think you could have gotten the same level of effect if he'd had 
some kind of plastic common Rider gun that did literally the same thing. I was about to fight you, but if if it, if the stock moved and all that, like that would be pretty affecting, <laughs> because then you would know what is signifying without being the thing. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not here to say anyone's right or wrong in their feelings on that, because like I agree with you. It, I agree. I just took it different. Yeah, I'm just, which I more and more as time goes on, I'm becoming viscerally incapable of handling guns, especially in a children's media. No, that's... And look, honestly, that's for the best. Like, that's a way more of us should be. But okay, since we're talking about things that were unsettling, um, I just want to throw out that I am really a big fan of the weird, freaky robot body horror that happens when the Humagears get turned into the Magears. Like, monster or mook level. Like, like their faces tear off to reveal these freaky skulls, and then their whole being implodes with techno-wire stuff that vomits out of their mouths. Like, it is really visceral and scary and awful, and, like, kind of the only way they get to do any of these uh, really scary body horror things in this show for nine-year-olds. And I love it! It's absolutely horrifying, and, like, I hate looking at it, but man, it sure does get the job done making it clear how awful that transformation is. Yeah, it does. Like, it's nightmarish. It's really unsettling. And okay, okay. Um, sort of, again, talking about the Magears and Daybreak Town, um, that shot of the weird red-eye satellite AI core thing, like, I love how little lore they've given us. Like, we don't know what the deep lore, the official events are. But without telling us anything, when they zoom in on that AI core satellite thing's red light turning on, like, yeah, you know what's going on. And I really appreciate that. That's very good use of, of like, visual storytelling, intertextuality. It's, it's very clever. I just, I love the red light happening. That made me just think of a thing. Okay, hit me. Hit me with this thing you thought of. The Yumagir that works with the Vice President wears red. She's the only Yumagir we've seen wearing red or even wearing a warm-toned color at Really? Red. Like, all of the other ones, are, even if they're in, like, a uniform, it's blue. Izu specifically is, like, a, a slightly blue-green. All of the Yumagirs we see are in, like, whites... And light colors. I think some of them have been in pinks, but not red. She's mm-hmm. the only one we've seen in red. And then when the vice president kind of lowers his portrait over, uh, the over Grandpa Heaton, who had a green background, he's got a bright red background. Which looking at that, I'm like, ah, you are a bad guy. That mm, good call. But yeah. he might be uh, more of a bad guy than initially anticipated with how much the color red is linked specifically to Daybreak and the villain group and the Magyars. Like, that whole flashback that Fuma, Fuma has in episode two is all in red. Yeah, as the, the, the red the sky. As the Magyars are attacking. Yeah. So all of the lighting is red. 
the way that like the the Magyar's eyes and headphones turn red. Red is a very clear indicator of being connected to that group. They are two characters who the show goes out of its way in the beginning to associate the color red with. Mm. Well, that is that is going to be a thing. Like we don't just put a pin in that. We're going to staple gun that to the wall. Because yeah, I'm I'm gonna keep my eye out. I'm here for this. And like, look, we did mention X Aid a couple times already, and I have to say, I given given X Aid, I I sort of wonder if maybe Takahashi Yuya has some stuff to say about uh, really powerful corporate guys or something. I, I don't yeah, maybe know. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe shrug. Mm-hmm. Also, okay. Quick tangent about the satellites. Um. I adore that our hero is basically like a slightly more kid-friendly version of the Jack Kirby creation OMAC, the One Man Army Corps. Uh, there will be some links in the as mentioned, um, just with significantly less body horror. Which, again, like, please understand, I just went on about how much body horror is in this show. There's significantly less body horror in this than there is in OMAC. I bring this up mostly because the satellite bears at least some relation to Brother Eye. In fact, I think that's what one of the the subgroup called it, like, Buraza. But I, I that could have been a misreading on my part or their part. I don't know. I think that was actually the uh, the name of the thing that Muscles Taro turned into. Ah, okay, well, never mind then. Uh, but anyway, it's just... The sad... In, in OMAC, the, there's this satellite which beams information down and turns mild-mannered mannered janitor Buddy Blank into the OMAC at the mere cost of his sense of self and memories. But, you know, someone has to fight the world that's coming. Um, and I, I bring this up because, yes, this is a common Rider show by Takahashi Yuya, so I'm just saying that there's a non-zero chance that things are going to get very OMAC-y by the end. Because Takahashi Yuya can go kind of dark. X8 got intense there a couple times. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that was their Like, I'm, I'm, the only reason I, I say it might not go OMAC is because it's not written by the guy who did, uh, Build. Because if it was Build, if it was by the guy who did Build, it's like, okay, everyone strap in. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> yeah, like, boy, Build... Build was a total nightmare. <laughs> wow, I love Build, but it went all over the place. There was just a whole episode about, oh wow, I killed a man. I beat him to death with my bare hands. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep talking about related things. But, uh, slightly related. The way that Arto reacts so viscerally to... The, the Magyar saying that humanity has no future worth dreaming about, that was a punch to the guts. Like, he may not always be happy with the world or everything going on. He's kind of depressed about getting fired from his dream job. But he's not going to let anyone stomp all over the dreams of other people. And I've said this about Ko on Ryu Soldier, and I think it works very well for Aruto too. Uh, which is nice because now we've got kind of the two of them paralleling on shows airing together. Hey, it's nice to be happy about both of the shows that we cover. <laughs> Isn't it? 
But uh, I I love that Aruto is this very kind of goofy, fun, happy guy. And even though, you know, he's got his internal aches, both of them have lost their father figure in, you know, these horrible situations where stuff explodes and catches fire. Um, but he's still capable of getting really mad when someone is out there trying to ruin the happiness of others and hurt other people. Like, he's not placid or passive or even all that excited in his desire to protect the world. Like, he's not coming at being a common Rider the way Gentaro comes at being a common Rider or, like, the, the way that Eiji comes at being a common Rider or the way that Shotaro comes at being a common Rider. Like, he's, he's not just doing it because it needs to be done he sees people being hurt and both, you know, physically and spiritually and emotionally, and he's angry about it. Like, he doesn't even want to do it. But the second this dude is like, LOL, dreams suck, Aruto's like, hey lady I just met ten minutes ago, hold my big sequined bow tie, because this guy needs a rider kick to the face. And I'm here for that. Yep, big same. Big same. Though, like, okay, you say he doesn't approach it like Entro, and he doesn't exactly, but there is this bit that will go around on Twitter where it's like a bad guy saying, yeah, friendship is stupid. And I'm just saying, like, Entro Gizaragi would definitely be like, I'm sorry, what did you say about friendship? Like, it's it's very much that same vibe. See, but Gentro, they'll be like, no, I'm going to be your friend and show you how good friendship is. That's true. That's true. Where Aruto's like, yeah, you're wrong and you're stupid and I'm going to kick you in the face. Gentro's first th- first thing would be like, uh, hey, what's up? Nah, uh, I don't know. It's good either way. And I just, I do like that, that Aruto's whole thing is, yeah, you want to talk some crap about hope and hopes and dreams, buddy? Yeah, you come over here and you say that. Yeah, like, again, no no shade See on Gentaro. He's, well, he is yeah, top tier not. among common Riders, but... But he wouldn't just I wreck just, a dude for dissing friendship. Yeah, like, I'm just, I'm... It's it's such a mood. Yeah. Like, no. Boy, here in, here in this current sociopolitical moment, someone just, like, the possibility that things are could be better is stupid. Like, mm. It's not even just let me have it, though there's certainly a level of that, but just trying to make everyone else as miserable? Nah, man. Nah. Not here for it. So the moment that I was sure this was Yuya's writing was when Aruto lands the rider kick, and, like, it's this really dramatic, beautiful shot of him, like, flying through the wreckage. And then his foot hits the ground and his ankle twists and he goes flying into a wall. Like, I had my suspicions from the bad guys and, like, Izu showing up in the limo with the briefcase. And the kind of similar vibes between Genom and Hiden. Like, I, I had... I, I thought maybe it could be. But that's the moment when I knew. <laughs> uh, that is also the moment... Where, where my partner was just like, is this the X-Aid guy? It's like, is it? Is it that guy? I, I know it's that guy. 
He's got a thing with his protagonist, like, falling. I'm here for it, though, because if, oh, if that's going to be the thing where it's, hey, I'm not going to let my, my protagonist get too cool, I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, I'm never, I, I love his weird, goofy, clumsy protagonists. I love it, them. It, it makes me think about uh, Taika Waititi, who did uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, talking about why he took, why they wanted to take Thor in the direction they did, because as of that movie, he's kind of a comic figure, as in comical and not comic book. Um, and he's just like, well, I realize that he's what we over here call a cool guy. And that's someone who takes himself way too seriously. And the best thing to do with that is to make it impossible to take them seriously. I'm paraphrasing. I'll try and find the interview. But I, I feel like that's what Yu Yu wants to do with the heroes. Like, no, you're cool, but uh, you can't be too cool. Not going to allow it. Like, Which, you're cool, but you got to be human. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, I like it. I like when the heroes are down at, at our human level because it it means they're not impossible to get up to we just have to be better in ourselves which is you know uh, that's the thing i can get behind and that that last shot of of aruto watching the park manager like promise to keep the park open because zero one protected it and like the way that Aruto just looks as he's watching that conversation and kind of smiles and realizes how much what he just did meant to people. And then the dude gives him like the most comically overblown, least conspicuous wink ever was absolutely precious. Yeah, it really was. Like the kid playing Aruto's got some chops. He. Might still be a little rough around the edges, uh, but not nearly as much as some of our riders have been at the beginning of shows the past couple of years. Um, but he's he's really capable of genuinely showing an emotion and kind of pushing himself. He actually kind of has some of the charisma that Dan Kuroto has. Yes. But played in a very comedic protagonist way, instead of, like, you know, the maniacal, chaotic neutral that Dan Kuroto is. <sighs> I love Dan Kuroto. Like, it's- I feel like this kid could really go a long way in mm. his future, and I'm really excited to see how he grows over the course of this year. Because, again, say. this is- this is really, like, one of his first acting roles. He doesn't really have anything before playing Aruto. So, if, show. if this is his starting point, he could really grow into something great. I agree. And also, okay, here's a stupid thing, but I, I kind of hope that part of his growth will also involve a lot more of that Japanese stand-up. So that maybe I can start wrapping my head around it a little more, because, I mean, again, I know that it's it, it's got a certain bit of wordplay involved, but there is there's a rhythm to it, and and like a comedic, uh, like suppositions that you're supposed to understand going in that I don't have, and I'm just I'm really looking forward to having more opportunities to get a feel for it, even if I never entirely understand it. I mean, I'm gonna be switching from overtime to rider time for zero one 
Um, because I've heard they translate those jokes a bit better than Overtime, and I have seen that on their release posts, they break down the actual Japanese puns. Yeah. Uh, so I am gonna switch over to them for, for Zero One, mm. uh, just cause I, I think they're maybe doing a little bit better job of dealing with the cultural aspects of Zero One. Like, honestly, for, for all I have had a lot of nice things to say about Overtime, and still do. Like, I don't want it to make it sound like, oh, they suck now. That's not what I'm saying. Um, Rider Time had the translation of Aruto's catchphrase as, that's Aruto! Which is this, like, for me, it, it reads as this great slash awful slash amazing slash terrible spin on, like, that's all folks. Whereas, like, Overtimes was, and that's how you know it's Aruto, which, like, it's not bad. And and I feel like that's definitely in the spirit of what's being said, but, like, that's Aruto is such a great condensing of that bit of meaning. And it's a pun. Like, none of the other translators I've seen have had that pun in there. And he's a pun comedian. It's a wordplay-based comedic set. Like, go. Yeah, and I mean, like, Overtime did a really good job with Kijima back in Forze. Oh, yeah. I feel like they they did a very good job localizing those jokes. I, I don't feel like they're doing as good of a job here. A lot of the jokes don't read like there's a pun in them. Yeah, and they this do not. Is, no shade on the overtime guys. They're doing the best they can. They're doing it for free. They've They're doing been... it fast. So, like, you know... Yeah, no shade. It's bless just... them, no shade, but... I just... I, I have heard that Rider Time is doing a better job translating those jokes, and I appreciate that they are handing us the actual joke and kind of breaking it down. Yeah, I, if nothing else, I... If nothing else, Rider Time's got the best release notes, and like those are those are a pain in the butt to put together. So hats off to for as for as long as they they want to keep doing it. But also, again, like that's Auto is so good. Okay, so rolling into episode two, I know I, I talked about it a bit already, but I love Yuma. I love her. Uh, she is here for me. Yuma is our new Ozawa for. Yes. Those who saw Ozawa from, she's in Kamen Rider Agito, just in case anyone was wondering. Like, I, should, I know I mentioned You should watch Kamen Rider Agito, folks. Agito good. Just, just, just for her. And Honestly, I love the yeah. rest of Agito, but, like, she's the only thing you need to watch for. But, like, I know I mentioned that I really love her entrance, but, man, they really let her start stepping stuff up in episode two. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I adore that she's here for business, and that business is figuring out if Heaton is doing some illegal stuff, but she's also not gonna let Fua just spout his biases unfounded. Like, I, I, I had actually paused to, like, write that note, and the face that he's making at her is like, wait, you're not on my side with this? Like, it, it's this really pathetic, sad face, and it's, like, the first time he showed a real emotion, and I love it. And, like, not to jump ahead too far, but during the lobby fight, I kind of love that we really 
establish that power struggle between Yua and Fuwa. Uh, like, Fuwa is the leader of the unit, but Yua is the one in charge of who gets to use what equipment and when. So they kind of outrank each other, which is really interesting. I'm a little bummed that, you know, of the within the first two episodes, it seems as though Fuwa gets his way over Yua in every argument that they have. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've had a little something spoiled for me that, uh, gives hope we'll get a more dynamic push and pull going forward from here between them. Oh, good. I, I don't, I don't know what that is, I don't know is, if but... it really counts as a spoiler, because it's in the preview for the next episode. Oh, is it the, that she's also a, a common yes. writer later? Yeah. Which, good. I, I was very excited for that, too. It's, I've, I, I had that spoiled for me outside of the context of the preview, and it's, I, like, the only thing that I got spoiled for me, and I'm kind of mad about it, but... Aw. Um, Did you know there was gonna be a Lady Rider? Because, like, I admit, I didn't know she was the Lady Rider, I just sort of assumed. Yeah, it... Yes. Well... And then I had it that it aw, was her. Boom. But, um, so... I mean, yeah, like, I did... that, maybe that will kind of balance out that dynamic... A bit. I hope so. I'm like I'm still so hesitant about letting Toei do Lady Riders. I don't trust them. They haven't. They don't have a great track record. Do I'm they? I'm hoping in the new era they can be better, but I understand your trepidation. It's it worries me, but you know there's a bunch of ladies in this show, so I don't know. Maybe it'll be okay. Yeah. Like we do. From within the first three episodes, we've got three women as prominent characters. Yes. The 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 red Yumagir lady hasn't really said much, but she's but I, very prominent. She yeah. is always there. Yeah, we we like, suspect she will do. Like even in that lobby scene when they're like spying on Aruto, she's just standing there. Mm. She's not even like hiding. She's just like, yeah, okay. Look, all, all I can say is that. I just, I want Yua to get some love, because all I can think is that for, for all the hit, for all Fua going for the Kamen Rider gun in episode one, you can probably make an argument that it's an acceptable thing. Like, dude did act in defiance of the existing command structure that I would think is pretty important, seeing as the thing he's, that, that they make a big deal of him not being allowed or authorized to use is a superhero Iron Man suit. Um, I, I feel like dude should be raked over the coals for breaking protocol there. No matter yeah, what bit. his deal is, but he did steal the Common Rider suit and act in defiance of orders. I feel like someone should be taking him to task. I do like that she kicked him, though. That she did kick good. him. Uh, I, I hope she does that more. Um, though I do really love... Fua trying to restrain how funny he thinks Aruto is. Like, when we see it in the office where he's got, like, where we just kind of see him, like, at the waist and his, like, leg is shaking and his fists are clenched and you're supposed to think that he's mad about the joking. Like, I saw right through it because, like, Yuya's sense of humor is so clear that I'm like, oh no, I know what this is. And then he does it again at the end, and you see him, like, trying to cover his face and, like, having to leave the room. And I'm like, ah, there it is. And, like, that, we mentioned, like, 
you gotta make the hero human. You gotta make them reachable. And that's really what does it for him. Like, that's en- that's enough. Yeah. It's like, it, it obviously can't be the only thing. You've gotta build on that. But it's enough to, to establish it. Mm. It's It's that bridge between the two of them is there. Mm. That line exists. Yeah, and and I also dig on it being kind of a, a good character quirk that feels like that it's telling of Fua as a person. Again, like, I know I'm just basically repeating your point, but the, the whole thing where he has a terrible sense of humor creates, like, that's an interesting character quirk, but also, as, as I do want to talk about in a sec here, it creates an interesting commentary on his opinions about Huma Gears. Because we know textually that he's not always in touch with reality as it actually is. Which I think is just an interesting bit of foreshadowing for him. And it's just, to bring it back to, and to keep things in the context of Yuya, it's a thing Hero never had. It's it's why when they tried to establish a connection between Hiro and Emu, which they tried to many times, it always just sort of fell flat and didn't stick because there was never anything that linked them beyond you both work in the hospital and are fighting the same stuff, but Emu had nothing to do with his whole, like, Saki issue. Like, I believed the conflicts between him and Taiga, because they were both kind of tied together by this one incident, but him and Emu just kind of having a difference in opinion on how they should be approaching the the Bugster situation wasn't enough. Where there's a genuine emotion that exists between Aruto and Fua in Fua hating what Aruto stands for, but thinking his comedy is hysterical, that they've got these opposite views on the plot that could grow into a really interesting dynamic. Mm. And because these two have a step, we have that established before we actually get to the conflict between them. I mean, not totally because you're supposed to think something different, but it's established, like that moment where you, in hindsight, you know he's trying not to laugh, is before we find out anything about his background and why he hates the Yumagears so much, and that he is this polar opposite to Aruto. So when you present the fact that from the same incident, Daybreak, Fua wants to get rid of Yumagears entirely, and Aruto wants to protect them as strongly as he wants to protect humans, it makes me believe that there's a place in the middle they can meet and then Aruto can lead Fua by the hand back to the side that isn't Fua responding to his situation solely based on past trauma. Which, by the way, I'm not necessarily blaming Fua for in his response, because I understand why he's seeing things that way. It oh, was yeah. trauma. It It's something that affected him very deeply. It's a thing that many other people obviously did not survive. And... Even Aruto seemed to be sympathetic to that story when he heard it. So I'm just hoping that Fua's arc is about him learning to see past his trauma to the fact that Yumagears are being affected and hurt and traumatized in the same way that he was 
by these incidents. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And look, in in a show where by the narrative rules that we've we've discussed, like Fu is already wrong to a comedic extent. Uh, uh, about the Huma Gears. Uh, we're creating an interesting space to talk about how you do the work of understanding that maybe the people you dehumanize are actually people, and it's you who has to do the work. Uh, that they give that moment to a cop, or at least someone clearly at least associated with law enforcement, um... Like, that's very interesting to me, given our current sociopolitical moment, I dare say. Like, given earlier commentary about uh, how human gears are framed as the dream of a post-work society, I also dig that we have, it, with his trauma and the way he's reacting, Fuwa is, is kind of the backlash to that idea that exists inside a system which cannot imagine a post-work society without privation and suffering and horror. If your ability to not die depends on your ability to work at a job that a machine could do just as well, your relationship to the concept of automation will be very different than the perspective of, of someone who's looking forward to the dreamed-of post-work society where everyone's needs are met because a machine can do the work of hundreds of people. In the current paradigm... A machine doing the work of hundreds of people is a machine condemning hundreds of people to starvation. And I just... it doesn't have to be. But it's its a very interesting commentary on our current socio-political moment. Again, sent, uh, even more interesting because the guy looking to uphold that current order is a cop. <laughs> like, I'm not saying Takahashi Yuya is trying to say something. But I am saying that if he wanted to say something, this would be how you do it. <laughs> like, if this is accidental, cool, and I'm reading too much into it, okay. But uh, it sure reads very thoughtful, and I feel like Yuya, in X8, Yuya gave me the impression of being a very thoughtful writer. Anyway, thank you for, for letting me have my little digression there. So I love that Grandpa Heaton apparently just named all of the Yumagir working at his company, like, yeah. personally. Like, he personally activated all of them and gave them names uh, that are probably, like, appropriate to their jobs, which is adorable. Well, I mean, I, I it does kind of go with my half-baked, not-even-theory hypothesis, I guess, that Grandpa Heaton had... had a sense of humor of some kind, good or bad, but he, he was a funny dude. I, and I adore the fact that Arto is like, oh, my grandpa named you? That makes us family. Oh, that was so good. Like, that's precious. That is perfect. Yep. Like, he's like, oh, you, like, my grand, like, you answered directly to my grandpa and he named you? Like, you're, that makes you his son. That makes you my uncle. We're yep. family. I just, I look, that is such a relatable thing to me. Like, oh, hey, these robots all have names. They're now my friends and I love them. That's, like, that's a feeling I can get down with. Well, like, even more than friends, like, he's like, oh, you are family. That's, yeah, true. Hey, there's clearly a blood lineage between us. Let's go. Especially since mm, his dad's maybe a robot. Yeah. And just, like, the, the whole scene 
where he asks Mamoru's name and is like, hey, I'm not gonna forget it. Tell me what it is so we can, like, we can, we can be down with each other. And then, like, bandages him up with his own, like, handkerchief from his pocket. Like, that was sweet. He's a good writer, Brent. And, like, I, I know I mentioned it earlier, but the way that Mamoru smiles after that, like, he looks at the bandage and he looks off after Aruto and he just kind of smiles like that killed me. That wrecked me in my heart. Like, Muscles Taro was happy and proud of, like, a job well done and making the people smile, which was super cute. It was. It. it really was. Um, but with Mamoru, Mamoru was grateful. He was happy that someone showed care for him. And that, you know, his boss dad guy's grandson thinks of him as family. The way that his grandfather thought of him as family. He was happy about that. And when he was resisting the reprogramming, it was clear, like, he grabs his arm and grabs the handkerchief when he's saying that he wants to protect the company. And it's not just because that's the task he's assigned. It's because there's someone within Hidden Intelligence who wants to protect him. And what I'm getting at here is that Toei needs to stop putting good, good boys named Mamoru in front of me and then hurting them. I mean... Y'all, like, y'all need to cut that out. Yeah, no, that... Mm. Like, it worked out this time, but y'all need to, y'all need to stop. But boy, for a hot second, it looked like it wasn't gonna, and like, we get to that, but... I'm giving y'all the eye, but like, I do want to point out, like, this is just a trait Aruto has, because when we see him rushing into the amusement park back in episode one, he passes a Yumagir that works there, and And he knows her. her name. Yeah. He call he he greets her by name as he's rushing past. Yep, because they just, work together. Yeah, he just loves human years. He's just friends with all of them. Bless this boy. But stop, stop making people named Mamoru and then hurting them. Yeah, stop no. it. We, don't do we, this to me. We want Mamoru, Mamoru. We don't want to attack them. Just, I was just so terribly upset. Like I knew once once the the Parad two guy rolled up it's like oh no they're gonna get mamaru i was so upset because like look i was sad about taro because like muscles taro he's a cool guy but like we hadn't had the moments of him interacting with other people on on like a for lack of a better term human level like a person-to-person level you know he's telling jokes and i imagine that ab crunch one was amazing but then there's like, we're having this bit where Mamoru here, he's just a really chill security guard. He just saves some people's lives. And and then him and, and Aruto are having this moment of, of shared recognition of each other's personhood. And, and again, for better, lack of a better word, humanity. Like, that was that was real good. And then when Dude turned him into a robot, uh, into, a, into a Magir, I was like, no! <laughs> By the way, um... It's been a while since, like, my hatred of a common Rider villain was because they're just mean. Like, even the guys in Gaim, I'm like, oh, okay, you guys have some interesting, like, wrinkles to your meanness that, that like, I may not like the show, but I can respect the artistry here. That dude's just mean, I hate him, and I want him to die. He hurt our boy. Yeah, he's just... 
like he's hurting everyone and he's having such a good time doing it and normally that's a thing i can get with but the way he's hurting people is just it's mean it's mean and purposeless or if there is a purpose we don't know it yet and the purpose doesn't feel that big like i'm sure you know they're gonna like wake up the evil ai whatever bloody blue it just it feels like he's just a sadist I'm like, man, they they almost had me when Izu's like, oh, once the code has changed, like, you can't revert it. <laughs> the, the only thing you can do is, is kill him. And, like, as Aruto is fighting, all I can think is that having him kill Mamoru would go so far against the character that specifically this episode had been building. And if that was the case... I wouldn't be willing to go forward with this show. I would probably still watch it, but I would not have us be covering it. Yeah, no. But then, you know, the back and forth parallel that they do from that point with Fuma's fear-based anger at the Yumagears and seeing them as humanity's enemy up against Aruto, like, explicitly explaining that he believes in Yumagears as humanity's dream was nice and really did help drive home that they couldn't just write this in a way where Aruto would just destroy Mamoru and maybe be sad about it, but then move on. Yeah, this isn't Drive. Like, it it felt like that moment solidified with when he's like, there's only one thing that can stop you and it's me. And I'm not sure what about that line indicated to me that Aruto couldn't just kill him and would somehow be saving him. Maybe it's that as he's saying it, you see the flashes back to him kind of bonding with Mamoru. Even though I think that was supposed to be a red herring in the other direction, and was supposed to be, like, him being really upset that he has to kill this Yumagir that he's become really fond of. But I just read it as like, oh no, no, he's gotta save him now. Yeah. And I know that they tried to throw us off with having the sword finisher include the word dispatch, but it just... It felt so incredibly not right to have Aruto kill him that, like, I knew he'd have to be okay. Yeah, because otherwise, like, there would have had to be some... Well, it's just like what you said. Like, I I probably would have just said that this show can go to hell. <laughs> like, if he would have killed Mamoru there, it just it would have been a betrayal of the character, because... At least Common Rider Drive had had some plausible deniability about the Roy Mew and their personhood in in its fiction. You know, if you squint and ignore kind of whole arcs where they explain that no, they are actually people who are just anyway. It just it would have been such a negation of the premise of the show that I wouldn't want to continue because that's a that's an awful message. Hey, if someone yeah. is hurt, if, if if someone is hurt by a bad person, you have no choice but to kill them. Like, okay, that means that he he did take out Muscles Taro, and mm, I kind of hope he has to deal with that later. But like, I like that we're not going to be doing a lot of that, or maybe Muscles Taro got rebuilt. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe they fixed him. Maybe we're going to talk about that. But I mean, even with like. I always believed Shinosuke was the kind of person who would do the things he did. Oh, yeah. Even if I hate the things he did. Mm. I'm like, Shinosuke is very ingrained in in the things that he sees as being the things he should do. Where, like, 
I, Aruto it doesn't, doesn't feel that make way. sense for no. Aruto to like kill Mamoru and be like sad for a minute and then move on in the show. Yeah, it just, just it doesn't make sense. No, it it does not. I was I was so afraid that I was just going to be making like marge noises the entire time, just like with Zio, but louder because the show had me and then just threw me in the garbage. They carried me. As in, like, the movie Carrie, like, they brought me up, like, put a put a tear on my head, made me feel like the, the bell of the ball, and then they just dumped pig blood on me. Like, that's what it would have been. And I probably would have, you know, I probably would have just, like, open eyes staring, and then, like, things start exploding around me. Anyway, they didn't do that, and, uh, thank goodness. <laughs> like Everything is well. Bef- before, before, like, after I watched episode two, before you had, it was just, like... I I did tell Sono, hey, you're going to think they're doing a bad thing. Don't worry, they're not. Because, <laughs> like, I was distressed. <laughs> I was very it, distressed. Yeah, no, it's distressing. Because it's our boy. Yeah, and good on him. Our boy has been on screen maybe a total of five minutes. And um, it's it's that, it's that, that gif from uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if anything happened to him. I would kill everyone in this room. I would destroy all of you. And then there's that last battle shot of, like, Fua looking through the hole in the crates at Zero One, and then he vanishes in the gun smoke, and that is art. That, yeah. Like, that's peak action movie, and I adore it. It's perfect. I love mm. it. Like, and, and, like, on a visual storytelling level, it tells you everything about what their relation is gonna be their relationship rather is going to be like from the start and i just i'm so here for it and also i love that they they're bringing in a secret identity thing because it's been a minute since common rider cared about secret identity yeah i mean like all of them seem to have had it but there's hasn't really been a reason up until now except for parts of build where they're like build is a criminal but even then, I think they released Sento's identity with that, because, like, the government knew who he was. I mean, like, there was a big thing of, like, hey, everyone knows Shinosuke is Drive, but nothing mattered in Drive. Anyway, uh, this show is good. And then and then there's the press conference. Yes. Which, also, much like most things in this episode, wrecked me. Just, just the moment of Aruto, like, walking into the room in full suit, actual shoes instead of his highlighter-colored sneakers because Yuya likes to make people wear shoes that are the same color as their suit. Um, and then being funny. like, yeah, Yumagir is attacked. It happened. And then having the backups of why before anyone can, like, jump in and start asking questions and overwhelm him. He's like, nope, this is, this is what happened. Here's the video. It wasn't heated. And it absolutely wasn't Mamoru or the other Yumagir's fault, and they should especially not be blamed for it. Like, having him come out with that and come out prepared with all of that just really drove home that I'm here for this kid. Yeah. I love him. He's goofy and weird and tells bad jokes, and he's not putting that aside. He's gonna do it in this really serious situation. But he's not going to let anyone hurt others, human or Yuma Gear. 
and when he like looks over at Mamoru and smiles and we see that our boy is okay, it just got me right in the heart guts. Oh, big same. Big, big same. Also, it occurs to me that one of the great things they could say that he's got from being a comedian when it comes to handling all this, all the, the press conference stuff, hecklers, man. Especially since he's a yeah. bad comedian. You yeah, know no, that dude gets kid, heckled. The kid knows how to deal with hecklers and ignore them. Yep. Don't engage. Keep going on because no one cares what that guy says. But honestly, it's just, it's a really well done scene in general. Because, like you say, like he steps in in a suit, looking all professional, which it feels like a, a sea change in just, at the end of a second episode... Where somehow, like, he goes from his corned beef hoodie, which, like, I keep hoping that there's going to be a cabbage hoodie at some point for, like, his evil twin or whatever. I don't know. No, no, but... put it on Izu. Oh, yes! Oh, that's great. Uh, but, like, I was just taken aback at how well he just embodied the emotion of that scene, the things that his character is going through. I understood everything that Aruto was feeling because of the way the kid playing him just walked into the room and the way the camera went. It just, I, I get that he's taking it seriously and that he's still him, but he also understands that he has power and influence and therefore responsibility. And I just, I respond well to that. Yeah, no, it's, I know we have our feelings on, on the, the superhero movie genre and how muddy the Marvel films have become, mm. but we're, we're both old enough to have lived through the beginning of that and how it started with the first Iron Man movie and how that movie ended with, I am Iron Man, and it's that moment. Yeah. Like, that moment is, I've at that time, that moment was unprecedented and amazing and, and like has... i'm i'm not even someone who like cared about iron man i had never read iron man comics but like that moment was incredible and i went as ballistic as everyone else and they did it here just by having him walk in and be like yeah the attack happened yeah and it's so good because Honestly, Toei has been trying to capture some of that Avengers stuff basically since Avengers started happening. And this is the first time they got it. Like, they've been trying to do it without, honestly without earning it. This time, like, they wanted it, they got it, I felt it. Good on them. What I did notice when we see Mamoru again that I think is interesting, and I think sets up how sets up that there's going to be an explanation for how Aruto saved him, is that he has a Shoshincha mark over his little headphone things, yeah. um, which is the green and yellow chevron. And this symbol is generally used to mark beginner status or general inexperience. Uh, it's primarily used for driving. They'll stick it on like the back of the car mm -hmm. so that you'll know that it's like a student driver or someone who's only had their license for, like, a year or so. Uh, but it's pretty widely used in several contexts. Uh, some companies will put it on the name badge of new employees. Um, I think some, like, health cards will put it on for, like, new mothers. Oh, wow. So that if they go to a medical facility, uh, they'll know that they have, they don't have a lot of experience 
with motherhood, so they may, you know, give them kind of a wider range of explanations for things. Uh, It's used in a variety of contexts, but primarily uh, New Drivers is, like, the big one. Interesting. Okay. Like, the, the most widely seen and recognizable. So I'm wondering what exactly it means in this context. Is, has Mamoru been placed into a new body, so it means that the AI is kind of getting used to the new system? Is it marking that he's in sort of a computer safe mode where his wider functions are a little bit limited while the system sorts itself out? And, like, have they put a stronger antivirus on him? And it means something to do with that? I'm just really curious to see... What that means, because it is the explanation for how Mamoru was saved and still gets to be with us. Yeah, yeah. Although I have to say, like, with that context, I am a little more anxious now, because... But at the same time, he's got the handkerchief, so they are telling us that that is still our Mamoru. That's not a Mamoru, that's the Mamoru. Yes, that's that's ours. Yeah, and though I, I mean, I say... I say that, and that just really shows how good they are at this, because, again, he's been here, what, mm, less than five minutes, if that? Uh, and he he is, I think, our beautiful robot son. Yes, he is our child. Um, like, I can't imagine that he's not still our Mamoru with the way that Aruto looks at him yeah. when he turns to look at him. Because if, if Mamoru as a person was lost... And this was just another Yumagir that looked like him. I feel like he would have looked a lot sadder. He would have yeah. like he would have been upset about it, but he was happy. He was really proud of himself for being able to save Mamur. That's the expression that was on his face. Mm. So I feel like it's more that he pulled the hard drives out of an old PC and put them in a new one, and just kind of did a fresh install of the operating system and you know, maybe upgraded some parts, but it's all the same data. It's all the same feeling. All your stuff is still where you think it is. It's going to react the way you think it's going to react. Just, you know, like you said, new hardware. Yeah. And I would like very much for it to just turn out, oh, hey, sorry, I'm still getting used to a new body. Aren't they all standardized? You know, you'd think that. (laughs) But every body's different. It's not literally the same one, so... Just, either way, I've yeah, just... Yeah, like, the, the stuff that's been worn down... Because he's obviously been there a long time if he's he was named by his grandfather. Like, the parts that have kind of worn down and been broken in, they're not now. They're all brand new again. Yeah, and So that's... stuff's gonna move a little differently. Yeah, and, like, here's the thing. Uh, machines don't heal. So, yeah, I just... It's about wearing down, getting replacements. I... Honestly, like... The, the sci-fi AI robot nerd in me loves this show already because I feel like they're coming from a very, like, a very simpatico place with me. Also, I just, I I have to say, I a part of me kind of hopes that it turns out that you can get a cloud save backup for human gears. Like, at least the ones who live in the building. Like, hey, they live and work here. Yeah, let's get a backup just in case something bad happens to them. Again, they can't heal. <laughs> We can just patch them up. They can be functionally immortal. It'd be great. Uh, but, uh, so, 
any other major thoughts on the on the episode like bits like it'd be uh, hard no. to have more because like, we that's really all of it yeah they're so good yeah i like this new show but uh let's let's then get into our new suit roundup because boy we got some new suits here we do uh let's start with zero one's rising hopper suit uh i'll say out of the gate that of the three suits that use this awful highlighter yellow color, this is the best one. I like the way the color is blocked on the suit. I love... It works very well with black. Yeah. I like the really subtle dark red accents that are like... They're dark enough that you don't really notice them until you give the suit a good look. Like, the suit is very sleek and simple. Like, it's a good-looking suit. It is. And it's it's nice to see something that is sleek and simple without also verging into bland. Because, like, that's a hard thing to pull off, because a lot of times you go simple, it just turns into just a suit. Their, their, their styling is excellent. Also, dang, it is a joy to see uh, the other Yuya were just moving in this suit. It's... And also, like, this could just be because it's black, it could just be the way it's shaped, but it also looks a lot less chunk than the last few years of suits. Like, it looks like a very kind of lightweight thing. But, uh, you know, I will say, though, that while I do like it, I like it quite a lot, it's not yet ghost levels of great design, because the Kamen Rider ghost base suit is still, like, a high-water mark for me. Yeah, Oridamashi is really among the top tier. Yeah. I just, my one big complaint about the suit, you know, again, I, I got weird color vision, uh, pro, mild protonopia, um, so, like, I just like the yellow, but I just wish the bug mask faceplate thing was, like, wider or bigger somehow, because with the black sort of creating kind of a, an impression of negative space around it, it just makes it look like Zero One has a weirdly small head. And I, I don't love that. I I don't like the constant thought of, why is its head so small? Oh no, that's just, that's just because it's a very small face mask on a bigger head. But his head's so small! That's fair. I mean, I just wish that it wasn't that bright neon greenish yellow, because I hate that color. That's fair. I really do. Um, though I do like how in the opening eye catch they have him doing what looks like some black light glow, because that looks pretty cool. Problem, of course, is that they aren't doing the black light glow all the time, which kind of sucks, because um, I, I want to see them do more of the black light with the neon, because if it's going to be that kind of neon, let's let's go full-on, like, 80s direct-to-video sci-fi movie cover, you know? Just black neon. Can he have a hot pink form? God, please. He would look amazing with some hot pink. Though, when I was was leaving Japan, literally as I'm in the process of leaving, this was in a terminal in Narita Airport, uh, there were, on either wall, there was a Sentai mural... Not, not so much a mural, but, like, a big, long poster. Um, there was a Sentai one and a Rider one, and the Sentai one was all of the dinosaur Sentai. Uh, I think probably because Zooger is the most quickly recognizable in the States, and the current one is also a dinosaur Sentai. And then on the opposite wall, it was 
Zero One, Kuga, and Ichigo. Just the three of them. And seeing them together, seeing just those three suits together in isolation, and at this time, I really didn't have a lot of experience with the Zero One suit. Um, I had watched episode one by that point, um, and I had seen kind of from the shoulders up in a display in a Toys R Us, and I had seen, I had played a Gomberide machine, so I had seen kind of a strange approximation of the Zero One suit uh, while playing the Gomberide machine. But seeing the three of them together, it felt like a very natural progression of Ichigo's suit at the beginning of each era. Yeah, like, uh, especially since like this one's got the, the the silver lines down the arms as as sort of the the stripes from uh, Ichigo's costume. Yeah, it it was very like you you've got the 1970s Ichigo, you've got Kuga in 2000 which looks like a very 2000s iteration of that suit except just you know red and more red instead of green and then you've got zero one in 2019 who feels like a 2019 iteration of those two suits and seeing them all together it made me feel a lot better about the suit regardless of how much i really hate that color because i'm like you you feel right in this legacy. You feel like you're supposed to look like this, and like this specifically Ichigo and Kuga. I keep wanting to say Ichijo. Well, especially when you Kuga. say and Kuga, I mean. Yeah, but the th I feel like the two of them specifically as the first riders of their era were taken into consideration, and especially Ichigo, when designing Zero One. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I don't mind the driver. I wish it was, like, flatter, because yes. the front of it is is pretty sim- it, It's a pretty simple design. Mm. I know it's got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm about to make a comment that would indicate I feel otherwise, but comparatively to the past several years of belts- <laughs> It's a very simple design, so I wish it didn't, like, stick out so far. Yeah. Especially since the the Progrise keys don't seem that thick. No. Um, I don't know but, what they're putting in that suit, in the, in the belt. Yeah, but, like, the first time I saw this belt at all, like, this is the very first time I'm seeing this belt was in a display in a Toys R Us in Japan that I had stumbled across by chance, and... I looked at it, and the words that came out of my mouth without any prior thought were, why does it look like a gaming mouse? <laughs> I mean, you ain't wrong. Because, <laughs> again, at this time, I have I have no context for mm. the themes of the show, what the suit is even supposed to be. Like, I didn't know he was supposed to be a grasshopper. I had zero context. I just saw, like, from the, the shoulders up, because he's on the display, and there's the belt and the the one of the progress keys that I didn't look too closely at. And I'm just like, that looks like a gaming mouse. Yeah. Honestly, like, just on the driver, 
I have to say, like, the size of it also really throws me. I feel like most of my problems with the suit, which I do like, I, I do want to say I do like the suit, but, like, my nitpicks are all about proportion more than anything else. Because, boy, it doesn't... That big chunk gaming mouse belt, and that's all I'm going to be able to think of it as now. Thank you. It just... It it really ruins the sleekness of the suit. Yeah, it's just... Like, the Proberize keys don't seem to be any thicker than Gaia memories. Yeah. Just... And... I mean, there's a lot going on with the double driver, but it doesn't stick out. It's not a very wide... There's not a lot of depth. Yeah. Physical depth to the double driver. Uh, there's tons of metaphorical depth. <laughs> That's a conversation for another day. But, like, you can hold the whole... You can get your hand around the whole thing. Not if you're a child, obviously, but you can, like, you see Shotaro hold it. And yeah. he gets his whole hand around it. Where this, he's gotta, like, hold it from the top? Yeah, I... It's it's weird. Honestly, like, I, I know that it is just sort of the dumb thing that we have. You know, you have the dealie, and you put it in the th- in the belt and do a thing with it. I wish they'd get ri- they'd stop that, because it really interrupts that kid's henshin pose. I'm just saying. They gotta work on that. I also wish, the, like, the grasshopper CGI wasn't so elaborate. And I'm sure, like... Give it three weeks and that'll go away. Because uh, yeah. that's usually how it works. But it's like all over the place and we've got to be zoomed out because it's, it's really so busy. big. Yeah. Like, just have it like drop down and break apart. Just do the rabbit rabbit. Yep. You don't... It, it's fine. You can calm down. Uh, speaking of things that are not calmed down, uh, let's move on to the Common Rider Vulcan suit. I'm not mega into Vulcan. Like, the the motif is okay. I don't know if it's, like, the color scheme or the blocking or the way the suit is balanced, but it looks more like a local hero or a fan rider. Which, like, no shade on either of those things. I've made fan riders myself, and that's how I know they look like that. Uh, but there's just a certain amount of being just slightly over-designed to Vulcan. That makes it feel kind of off. I'm, I'm glad you brought in over-designed, because I, f- I feel like that's a lot of it. I, I think being being fair, I think that we're supposed to feel like his suit is from an older generation or the current generation of tech that Zero One is the next generation of. But while Zero One's suit is, is like sleek and simple but also not bland in its sleek simplicity. Vulcans feels busy without being cohesive. It, it's a lot of details that don't lead to any payoff. Like, there is nothing interesting after, oh, it's a wolf theme, and that's that, that's all you got. Yeah. But the suit is just a whole lot of nothing, except for the wolf bit, and that's a shame. Because, honestly, if there's going to be a wolf common Rider, I want it to frickin' rule. Yeah, like, and it's got this weird asymmetry. It looks, it looks like a GoBusters suit. Where, like, I love the GoBusters suits. I think they're very well designed. They're definitely not Rider suits, <laughs> and they're barely even Sentai suits. Yeah, that which has long been my beef with them. 
like, personally, I kind of love them for that, uh, within their own context. I think they're a really interesting deviation, but it's just, like, Vulcan's not an interesting deviation from the rider suit. It, it's just, it looks like some kid's fan rider. Yep. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with, it's just, there's a little too much there. Like, I, it looks like if they took Geki Violet and just spray-painted it white, and they're like, this is a rider suit now. I'm like, you're incorrect. So it's just, I'm, I don't know if it's necessarily bad. I don't think it is, but I'm just not feeling it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very fair way to put it. And, and finally, I just, it's not a common rider suit. But y'all just gonna have to bear with me because I love the human gear base form. Because they, I mean, it's a suit that someone had to act in. Yeah, it, there you go. And it is now also my Twitter icon because I just I really like the design. It 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 feels like a reference to so many robots in so many movies to the point where it could feel generic. It could be uh the the sleek and simple and bland that. Zero One was not, but there's just enough character and distinctive detail in there that they look like these mass-produced consumer goods that aren't super mega-threatening most of the time. Except for, of course, when... Okay, here's a question. Why do they have these freaking, like, straight-out-of-doom horror skulls under their just really calm-looking mask faces. That's a question for another time, but that seems like a very strange I, design decision. Here's your answer. We never did get an explanation for why the ghost driver is like that. Good call. Oof. Yeah, because when you take off the little, the little plastic bit, like, mm, no, it's nightmare. Yeah, uh, I definitely feel like that was supposed to be a plot point, because otherwise, why would you design it that much and then hide it? under, like, semi-opaque plastic. Yeah. But, uh, you know, once we got through the first arc of that show, they totally changed the plot. Yep. Which, I liked a lot of that plot, but, uh, they did change it. Mm, never, never quite got where it was going. Anyway, I just, I was, I mostly just wanted to bring up the Huma Gear suit, because there's that one at the start of episode one, and with good suit acting, it actually feels in unhuman, not inhuman, unhuman. It, it feels kind of mechanical and animatronic-y and uncanny valley, and that's just a great job for selling the fiction, which I, I appreciate. Also, um, I just want to say as well that the design touch with the headphones, just such a clever way to denote the non-costume human gears, so that, like, yeah, you can just have your your face actors out there, and they just wear the headphones, and everyone gets, oh, hey, those are the robots. And if they aren't selling those headphones by the end of the series, preferably with, like, light-up bits, uh, they are messing right the heck up. <laughs> they are leaving all kinds of money on the table. Because, I, I don't know about y'all, dear listener, I will buy them. Like, again, it's one of those things where I come back to Chobits, and I'm like, those ears were everywhere for 
like five years. There, like you still see them. People just wearing them casually at cons. Yeah, you it's... still see them. Like Toei can't be oblivious to that. I, I, I cannot imagine that they would be. It's, it's too good, too designed. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, but that that takes us into our final thoughts. And and Sona, why don't you start us off? Okay, so I'm I'm just really excited for this new year and this new era of Kamen Rider. I'm very excited. Uh, Yuya had a lot to say in X Aid, and I feel like he's got a lot to say here. I feel like he's got some of the same things to say here, and he wants to say them harder. Uh, maybe because he saw how hard Build got to go. But we've we've got some really fun and engaging characters. We've got an interesting narrative dynamic between Aruto and Fua. We've got humor that's up front, but not, like, punching us in the face. That's always nice. Looking at you, Drive. Of all the things Drive has done. Um, we have the return of a personal old favorite rider trope that we haven't seen in a while, which is business nerds in a van. <laughs> I I love that in Kabuto, and I feel like the only time we've seen it since then is perhaps uh, in Amazons, when it yeah. was heartbreaking. Oh, those terrible business nerds in their van. Uh, but I I love a bunch of idiots in a van driving around doing common Rider things. Um, that's my jam. And I just, I love an interesting world to stick it all in. And we've got one. Yes, we and definitely do. As I say in the first two episodes of every show that we cover, it could all go horribly wrong. I hope it doesn't. I really hope Zero One doesn't disappoint us. But given that in episode two we solve the drive problem, like, it's it's already solved. We've already passed that point. Like, even if we don't know how, we, we know it's there. I feel like we've got something very promising on our hands. My biggest fear out of the gate, uh, beyond the already solved drive problem, is my fear that Yuya is going to try, or be forced to try, to recapture the lightning in a bottle that was Dan Kuroto. Uh, specifically with the vice president of Hedon, but I don't know if they're going to introduce someone else. I, I really don't know. I just, no shade on that guy, uh, but he's no Iwanaga Tetsuya. No one is. Mm. It just, it can't be done, and I'd rather they just let it go than mess up the dynamics of the show by trying and failing to do the impossible. Uh, and I mean, like, I've seen this guy in a slightly more comedic role uh, oh, yeah? that I, I didn't realize until I was watching it and someone told me that it was him. Nice. Uh... And he, he's very good. No shade on this actor. He's wonderful. He's no Iwanaga Tetsuya. They didn't even know Iwanaga Tetsuya was Iwanaga Tetsuya until he kind of really got into the role and they had to adjust it so Dan Kuroto could become Dan Kuroto. But I'm, I'm willing to give Zero One as much rope as it wants so that I can see if it'll use it to climb that mountain. Or if it's gonna hang itself, and that that last one really is the really is the fear. Um, I, I think my final thoughts this time is that 
Zero One is, is touching on a social phenomenon near and dear to my heart, and one that I've previously babbled about on Laser Knees when we were doing Q-Ranger, uh, when we were talking about how certain classes of things are treated as inherently disposable, and how if something is disposable, you're given kind of a, a social permission to be unkind to it or about it, and I just dig that Zero One is opening up by setting up a framework where you can't even where you are not allowed like you you can do it but the narrative does not allow you to ask can a robot be a people but instead to just ask if a human can live up to our our own standards of what being a human is because honestly my my very humanist self believes that as long as you don't teach people to view the world as something they can exploit uh, with the exception of their their blood relations or or what have you, humans will just pack bond with anything. It's why we have the modern dog. It's why cats still hang out with us. It's why social media is a thing that can be weaponized against us in really insidious ways. Um, it, it, I'm reminded of of all the stories of mass funerals when Sony stopped making replacement parts for their line of robot dogs, Ivo. Or you'll hear stories of soldiers weeping when they're bomb-diffusing robots, which, please understand, they do not have autonomous wills or even simulations thereof. They're entirely remote-controlled. But when those bomb-diffusing robots get exploded, soldiers will break down because, hey, yeah, sure, but this thing saved my life. Or, of course, people who, who talk to their Roombas. I mean... Look, me and my mom have an off-brand Roomba, and it's very dumb, and I love it, and it will get stuck under our couch all the time. It's so incredibly stupid, and I adore it. And I mean, like, look, it's, it's just a thing that's programmed to go back and forth and back and forth, and I'm giving it levels of intelligence. Yeah, you're signing an agency, because <laughs> that's what we do. And I, I also remember a story on Tumblr where, like, there was a thunderstorm and there was like really loud thunder and there wasn't like a power surge or anything, but someone's Roomba uh, like flew off of its dock and started like acting really weird. And they interpret it as the Roomba being afraid and just like pick the Roomba up and put it on their lap for the rest of the storm. Yeah, exactly that. Like that's a thing we can do as people that is weird and arguably dumb, but it's also beautiful. Like, look, there's there's a lot of really good arguments for not anthropomorphizing non-human beings, like understanding that when chimpanzees grin at each other, they are not trying to be like humans are when we grin at each other. Hey, look at me, I am happy and smiling, and I wish to laugh and play like the adorable primate I am. Instead, a chimp is conveying, if you come any closer, these are the things I will use to bite off your face, capiche? But at the same time, this, this instinct to project ourselves onto non-human things, be they creatures or objects or what have you, yeah, it sometimes has silly results, but it also encourages us to be kinder to one another, to understand that things outside of ourselves can have value that is greater, that is equal to or greater than the value we even put on ourselves, depending on, you know, how your how your self-esteem's doing that day. And and look, I as I'm sure this show will demonstrate, that can also be used for ill. 
the the way a great many people pack bond with symbols, for instance, uh, can create nationalist movements, uh, which, yeah, that's very much using the the pack bond wrongly. Or when you just again, when you just say, yeah, if it's not a human, you can treat it. However, like that is a bad use because the idea is not to restrict the way you treat things badly. It's to not treat things badly. Uh, but the fact that we are capable of loving things when we could also exploit them means that, as with every common writer, there is a horror in power that can be overcome through love for your fellow person. And as long as Zero One keeps on in that vein, I think the Reiwa era of writer is going to be off to a really good start. And look, if nothing else, it feels like a good way to do a prequel or side story to Kamen Rider Kikai, who was the best part of Zio for me. And I'm now hoping for a Zero One Kikai team up or movie or special or, you know, something. Because Zero One feels pretty related, I'm just saying. Which is all to say I, I that in the end I can't believe Toei made one and a half Kamen Riders exactly for me. Statistically, it was bound to happen eventually. Yep. But, uh, yeah, that's end of line. Mine just came, mine just came super early with Garen. Look, if it works. As long as you, as long as everyone gets one common rider that is especially for them, I, I feel like that's okay. Anyway, um, so that's our final thoughts. So for all of us here at the Uncommon Cast and the rest of the TOLL Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Tom.